I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Speaking of which, coming up in just a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, I often talk about how you need to stay away from full commission stockbrokers. Wow, do I have some evidence for you about how dangerous it is for your wallet to use a full commission stockbroker. And coming up later, we get so many questions about co-signing, authorized users, things like that. I want to talk through with you the pluses and minuses when you slap your name down on something or somebody else's name to help them, how that might boomerang on you. I want to talk right now about something that is an absolute fact, and that is that we used to do idle chit-chat with strangers talking about the weather. Well, now in much of the country, perhaps two-thirds of us, maybe more, live in places where chit-chat has now been replaced by talking about traffic. Because... According to a new study from the Census Bureau, we're spending record amounts of time in stop-and-go traffic, mind-numbing, crawling to work. And this is nasty, terrible. I despise traffic. I hate traffic. And it's just part of life. And in so many places now, the traffic can be a hassle any time of the day and in some places any day of the week. So what are we to do about it? So many American cities developed by sprawl. So you're not magically going to be able to solve traffic with some kind of public transit. Just not going to happen. It's going to require behavioral changes and there are some of them that require action on the part of employers but if an employer wants to increase employee happiness and retention an employer will flex on how you work and when you work and there are two aspects to that one is for you to be able to work from home at least part of your work week. On my crew, and I have shared this before, I allow my team to work from home. All our writers on Clark.com can work from home one day a week. They get to pick the day. They get to work from home. And this is key to making employees happy, particularly for people who have longer commutes. Knowing that you only have to do it four days a week instead of five, big difference. But a lot of jobs, people can work from home most of the time or all of the time and saves the employers on office space And the funniest thing is people's productivity often is higher working from their own home 
than working in an office. So this is really a plea to employers. But the other thing employers could do is flex on schedule, flex shifts, flex schedule, uh, which is something that was a buzzword 10 years ago. I don't hear it as much now. The idea that if you can avoid traffic by working your same number of hours, but coming to work later and leaving later, or coming to work earlier and leaving earlier, and the idea 10 years ago was that you have core hours that everybody needs to be there, like let's say 10 to 2 or 11 to 3 or something like that, but that people can come to work and work their full shift coming earlier, as early as would be necessary so they can leave at the end of core hours or come as late as the beginning of core hours and then work their schedule till later in the day and you spread out when people are coming and going, you eliminate a lot of the traffic that people would face. But there is no magic pill coming except in the most congested markets from any form of public transit. And there are uh, congested areas where larger and larger percents of people are commuting on electric assist bicycles that are now as cheap as $500, where you're able to commute if you're in an area that has segregated bike roads or bike lanes. Uh, you can commute quicker than you can in a vehicle, but you probably have to be less than 10 miles from work. Today, so many people live extremely long mileage distances from work because, again, housing affordability. Larry is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Larry. Hey, Clark. Larry, How you doing, sir? I'm doing great, thank you. And you have a question that's very much on the minds of people younger than you are, but I don't hear the question you're about to ask me often from someone your age. What is it? Well, my question is, uh, more or less, you know, I'm hitting 50, and um, I was wondering more, like, on Social Security and... Uh, on the uh, Social Security. If it's going to be there for you 15 years from now, is that the idea? That is correct. And then who, when people do get on Social Security, who's on Social Security when they get it? Is it a a benefit for all? I mean, even for people who don't pay into the system or, you know? That's a great question. So under the rules for Social Security, I'm going to overgeneralize, but generally... You are covered if you work in a job where you pay into Social Security and your benefit from it is based on years worked and there's a formula based on uh, your pay rate that generates what kind of Social Security check you qualify for from when you start taking it for the rest of your life. Then there are people who qualify based on being a non-working spouse. Then there are people who don't qualify. Often it will be um, state or local workers, government workers, who have opted out of Social Security and are in a government-provided system. And then the other group that often will not be in it are religious organizations because of separation of church and state. Okay. So as far as your check being 50 years old, 
uh, let me start with the bad news. As the math works right now, there is not enough money being collected in taxes to pay the benefits promised to people down the road. And it doesn't mean that Social Security goes to zero payments. It means that Social Security checks would have to be reduced if Congress did nothing and never adjusted um, benefit periods like when you started taking it or never adjusted what taxes are collected to pay for it, it means actuarially that our checks might take a 25% pay cut. The odds that there's going to be a 25% pay cut on Social Security checks is zero. The issue is the sooner the Congress does something about the formulas for Social Security, the less hassle there is for people. So, Larry, there's going to be your check, and it will be the check that you expect. It's people coming behind you who have to make up that shortfall. The longer Congress waits to do that, the more pain people behind you have that comes out of their check. And you Understood. Know, so it's like paying it forward. R- right. But it's kind of being paid backwards, I guess, in that case. So um, the likeliest thing also that will happen is that people that are wealthier will receive a less generous Social Security check than they do now. But as far as the fundamentals of Social Security continuing, I think there's no doubt about that. And at some point, this shortfall in Social Security and Medicare will be addressed when we get political leaders who are more interested in serving the country instead of themselves or their political party. Amanda's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Amanda. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you, Amanda. You are calling about some significant changes in the American Express tie-in with Delta Airlines. I am. I have been going through, um, my husband and I have been going through and paying off all of our credit debt. And so now I'm looking at, um, I have a freshly paid off SkyMiles card. And with all the changes and the increased annual fee, I'm wondering, when does it make sense to close an account because of a high annual fee? Uh, This represents roughly 30% of my open credit. And just in my name, I have about $64,600 available, which I don't know how much credit I really need. Uh, But I was wondering, when does it make sense to close an account? All right. Well, let's talk. uh, First of all, does it make sense for you? As I've said, for a lot of people with Delta, American, and United uh, branded credit cards, probably 80-90% of people with them shouldn't have them because they're either not charging enough volume on the cards or they Mm -hmm. don't fly that airline enough. So how many times a year do you fly a round trip on Delta? I um, actually, um, I've just booked, I fly twice a year roughly to Maryland. Okay, you're done. I I don't even need to go into (laughs) charge volume. That card is worthless to you. Okay. So what I would do is before you cancel the card, you wait till your renewal time to cancel. Uh-huh. 
make sure that you have used whatever points you've accumulated. Uh-huh. And before that card cancels, get another card. Um, I love the straight cash back cards. Have you ever heard of the city double cash card? Um, I have that. You yes. have that already. Okay. Yes, I do. Um, do you like travel that you'd like to have one that earns points? Um, I do. I don't fly that much just because of work and, and all. I'm kind of, you know, with that. But so, so I would I would go all in on the city double cash and get another card. Do you happen to have any accounts with Fidelity Investments? No. Okay. What would I suggest for a second card in your case? Because you don't want travel. Um, are you a Costco member or a Sam's Club Yes, member? I love Costco. Do you have the Costco Visa card? I don't. Or that's what I would do. I'd go ahead and get the Costco Visa card. It's no annual fee. Get some uh-huh. headroom back for your credit limit. Every time you shop at Costco or Costco.com, you get 2% cash back, 4% cash back on gasoline, 3% cash back on restaurants, or the travel we just talked about. You don't do a lot. And so use the city double cash card anywhere that you're not doing restaurant travel gasoline or shopping at Costco and that would be the replacement that would make sense for the Delta SkyMiles American Express which makes no sense for you okay I was just wondering how much it was going to impact my credit rating that's what I was so if you replace that card with Uh another card I call that hopscotching you Uh go ahead and get the Costco Visa card you've replaced the potential hit to your credit because you've created another line of credit with its available credit, and then you should feel free and fine to dump the Delta SkyMiles card. The age of the card doesn't really affect the it? The age doesn't go away. You will have shown the age from the years oh, okay. you've had it. Oh, okay. So okay. don't fear. All right. You're good. Well, thank, thank you, and congratulations on the grandbaby. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> um, one other thing. Um, on the uh, cancellation of that card, there's a teeny tiny hit from the whole aging thing. Not enough for you to be concerned about. Today's Clark Rageous moment is something I'm putting some meat on the bones. Is something I've said for so long. And people will say, what do I mean when I say full commission stockbrokers? Full commission stockbrokers often are related to giant monster mega banks. Wells Fargo has one. Um, Bank of America has one called Merrill Lynch and Morgan Stanley is a big one and UBS. These four were just studied by a group called Cerulli Associates and they found that these four overwhelmingly put people who invest with them into ultra high cost and high cost mutual funds. That these outfits don't have to meet what's known as a fiduciary standard. They don't have to do what's in your best interests. And so they don't. They are sales organizations. And they sell stuff that they get kickbacks from, they get big commissions from, and they get big ongoing fees. Where if you go to a place like um, an independent financial advisor who signs the fiduciary oath and doesn't receive commissions for anything, or you go to one of the low-cost mutual fund companies, they are not going to sell you 
ultra high cost stuff. Remember this. This is so important. I don't care how wonderful and nice the people are at the bank-based brokerages. They are in business to charge you as much money as they can in the stuff that they sell you. And they are not legally required to do the right thing by you, known as the fiduciary standard. Why do you want to pay more money to someone who is there for themselves and their company and not for you? It's Clark Rageous. Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. So we have many ways that we serve you. And one of them that we've been doing since early 1993 is providing free advice where you can talk with a member of Team Clark. We do this 42 hours each week where you can talk to a member of Team Clark for free advice. And we track every single thing that people contact us about in our what I call our off-air center, our Team Clark Consumer Action Center. And something has emerged as a significant issue in the calls we've been getting, which is a sign of a potential economic slowdown in parts of the economy, even though the economy overall still is looking good. There are parts of the economy where people aren't quite doing as well. And so it's leading to follow-on trouble in certain circumstances. I want to tell you what those are. Number one is when you allow somebody to be an authorized user on your credit, most often on a credit card. And I want to talk about authorized user as something that for the owner of an account, when you allow somebody to be an authorized user, you are creating no privilege for yourself, but potential hardship. I don't even know how many times I've heard from someone whose ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend, they had made an authorized user on a credit card, and then they break up, and the final parting gift from the person they've made an authorized user is they run up the, the credit to the max. And remember, as an authorized user, they have no responsibility for that debt. You do. You're the one on the hook for it. Be very careful whenever you make anybody an authorized user. I've talked about a circumstance where you can help your teenager establish a credit identity by making them an authorized user, but not giving them the plastic. So you're lending your good credit reputation hopefully yours is good, without creating a potential financial time bomb for yourself that someone not of mature years yet maybe uh, doesn't handle credit well. Be very, very thoughtful before you make somebody an authorized user. Another thing that has come up frequently is 
is where someone names a family member or friend as a joint account holder. We have had too many sad circumstances where people have a joint checking account, joint savings account or whatever, and one day all that money is gone, either because one of the two individuals ends up with a judgment against them, a wage garnishment, an account garnishment, whatever, and even though it may be your money and a jointly held account, you lose that money without any claim of defense in a joint account if the other person runs off with it, again, a relationship splitting, or somebody comes in with a legal right to seize the funds. These are decisions not to make lightly. Why am I talking, think about, I'm all about positive energy. Why am I talking about all these negative things that could happen? Because the problem is, when we're hearing from people, it's when authorized user status or joint accounts have blown up on people. You need to think through the consequences that could occur if something goes wrong especially when it comes to the heart. Please be very careful. And the third category, oh, co-signing, co-signing. Talk about something that all the bad happens to you and all the good is for the person you co-signed for. Co-signing is rotten terrible. If there's somebody who cannot qualify to borrow money, and you want to help them out, you either A, have enough money to be the lender yourself, because financial institutions have said they're too high risk, they're radioactive to lend money to, so you lend them the money. And know that with any friend or family member, when you lend them money, if you get paid back, it's a giant surprise. But if you're not in a position to afford to lend somebody the money, don't co-sign because you can't afford the consequences if they don't pay because you're fully liable for that debt, 100% liable, and your credit gets ruined when they don't pay. Wendell is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Wendell. Hey, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. How can I be of service to you today? Well, I've... Um my mortgage company keeps sending me this uh, notice about this time to consider uh, uh, using my equity in my home. <laughs> and of I'm, course I, they and have. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I don't know, I don't know the rules, you know, or guiding rules, when it should be done, if it should be done. So I'm calling you for get some advice and some guidance. All right. So first of all, congratulations to you that you have such a substantial amount of equity in your home and you obviously handle your credit very well if the bank keeps begging you to establish a home equity line of credit. Yes, sir. So how much do you still owe on your mortgage versus what your house is worth? I think I owe about 50000 house worth about 100000 Okay. So in terms of what they set up on a home equity line of credit, standard formula they would 
allow you to establish a home equity line of credit of about 30000 to 35000 Yes. Is that about what they've said? Yes, sir. Okay. And they want you to do this because home equity lines are intensely profitable for the bank. Mm. But you don't want to be tempted to have that loan possibility sitting there because you may borrow money for things that are not related to the home. Okay. Like the reason you would borrow on a home equity line of credit is let's say you found out you needed a new roof on your home and you didn't have the cash for it or you needed a new heating and air conditioning system and you don't have the cash for it. I mean, the purpose of a home equity line of credit should exclusively be for improving that home or repairing that home. Okay. But the bank will say, hey, go take a vacation. You deserve it. Go buy a car with the equity in your home. Go throw money out on the street with the value of your home. It's kind of the same as taking a vacation with home equity money or whatever. So, now, what's the, what's the thought in reference to student loan? Because a daughter just graduated, you know, with a substantial student loan with it. So the, the interest rate on her student loans likely is in a similar range or potentially lower than what you'd be offered on a home equity line of credit. Plus, a home equity line of credit will usually be a floating rate and your daughter's student loans should likely be at a fixed rate. Okay. Um, tell me, do you know how much in student loan debt she has? How about 28000 Okay, so that puts your daughter smack dab right in the middle of what typical student loan debt is, which is somewhere after somebody graduates right around 30000 mm-hmm. That's a hassle but not a dangerous amount of student loan debt. Okay. Because... Um, it, it also provides some discipline to her paying on those loans. Do you know how much of that 28 is federal and how much is private? No, sir, I, I do not. Right. I want her to have that as an assignment for herself to figure okay. out all the loans she has um, and anything federal you don't touch with any kind of refi or anything like that normally. Okay. Um, if she has any private loans... Those are the highest priority to pay extra on and just pay the federal loans as as agreed. Okay. And drill into your daughter's head, do not fall behind on your student loans. Yes, sir. Because they'll eat her up. Okay. And you're a very generous man to want to just take those on for her, but against the value of your home, that would be a last resort, not a primary strategy. Oh, okay. Thank you so very much. Thank you, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you. And John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. John, I understand you were injured in a car wreck. How are you doing? We're doing all right. Uh, Thank you for asking, Clark. Earlier this year, my wife and I were in a car wreck. Wife had it worse than I did. Um, I'm so sorry. Oh, thank you. We're we're healing up. Um, Do you feel like either of you are going to have long-term medical consequences, or do you think you're going to be as good as new? I know I'm, I'm definitely going to be okay. My wife is still kind of taking it day by day. Um, she had a, a broken neck. Um, oh, no. Oh, no. It, you know, she, she's healing up. It's just usually... Um, 
when um, weather changes or whatever, she has kind of a not so great day. But um, is she doing long term uh, physical therapy or anything like that? Um, we actually wrapped that up uh, earlier in the summer. Um, so you know, she had the physical therapy. Um, we did some uh, massage therapy for her, and uh, so she's she's doing better. You know, I'd love it if she reached back out to her physical therapist and asked if it would be good for her to do Pilates or yoga or any kind of uh, routine stretching exercises. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably in a group class, she'd be more motivated that might help with long-term rehab. But the therapist really needs to be consulted to make sure that it would not do more harm than good. I appreciate that recommendation. I'll uh, definitely bring that up to her. So how can I be of help outside of that? And I'm really sorry about both of your injuries. Uh, thank you. Um, well, I wanted to talk to you because we were not the ones who were at fault here. Um, the other driver was all on them. Um, and we recently settled with the other party's insurance company um, for a sizable amount. And I have done some reading and found that a lot of the time when people get a settlement like this, that money is gone within a year or so. Usually 18 months. Okay. Yeah, Um, the people not accustomed to a large lump sum of money go through it in in a very short period of time. Right. And so we don't want to be those people. We would like to find a way to make sure that this lasts, how we can put this money best to work for us. So I would Um, say that in a case where you're unaccustomed to a large sum of money, mm -hmm. that you hire a fee-only financial planner who will sign the fiduciary pledge, meaning that they legally obligate themselves to only do what is in your best interest. Okay. You can also go to um, one of the big three discounters and pay them for ongoing financial management of the money and financial advice. Charles Schwab charges $300 up front and then $30 a month to manage the money for you. Vanguard charges roughly a third of a percent of the money per year to manage the money for you, you know, 0.30. Fidelity has a similar thing, but uh, is a little more complicated and expensive than what Schwab and Vanguard offer. So you can either go to an independent fee-only planner, and I've got links for that at Clark.com, how to pick one of those, or you can go to Schwab or Vanguard and know that you're going to pay extremely low fees with either for them to manage the money for you. Okay. You even Um, have an option with Vanguard for what's known as a managed payout fund where they would send you an allowance from the money every month with the goal, the intention being that the money lasts the rest of your lifetimes. Would doing something like that be better? We had several thoughts of what we could do with that. Obviously putting it to work would be a great idea, but we both also have a bit of student loan debt. We're wanting to eventually buy a home. So would it be better to do an investment like you mentioned with Vanguard, Fidelity, or Charles Schwab, or pay off 
the student loan debts that well, have that, You bring up an example. Uh, sorry to step over you. You bring up an example about why it's so valuable for you to sit down with a fee-only financial planner who meets the fiduciary standard. Fiduciary means that they legally, fully are obligated to do what's best for you, and they get no commissions from anything they'd advise, where they would look at your overall picture and your goals and your likely lifespans and come up with the best strategy for you, whether you're best off paying off the debts you have, you're best off taking money and buying a home um, just straight out cash, buying a home with a substantial down payment and taking out a mortgage, or you're best off investing all the money. That's what uh, a fee-only financial planner who's a fiduciary does, and that's why, in your case, I would short-circuit the thing of going to Fidelity or Schwab and go sit down with a fee-only planner, talk to several, see who you're comfortable with, and then get that person's guidance on what is the best strategy to meet each of those goals you just laid out. And I wish your wife a full and complete recovery. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Clark.com slash ask. That's where you post a question for me and producer Joel asks it for you. Clark, Bill has a question. He says the Costco Visa credit card is no longer offering benefits such as trip cancellation and interruption protection and car rental insurance coverage. I got the card for those benefits. The cashback benefits are still there, but I want a card to give me travel benefits. So what card do you recommend now? I'm so frustrated about this too. Um, I recommend that as best I've been able to research because I've been asked this question from so many people who have the Costco Visa card, I'm recommending the Chase Sapphire product that comes in a zillion dollar version for an annual fee and a bunch of benefits to one that is a $95 a year annual fee called the Chase Sapphire Preferred. And it comes with a bunch of benefits that are a decent replacement for the Costco Visa that actually is annual fee free. This is the Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.